It's a funny place to be, stuck in a seemingly mundane world with an inner knowing that the universe is so much more than our mortal minds can comprehend. Yet we all have the capacity to know peace and our oneness with the wholeness of life. And through these interviews, discussions, and reflections, it is my intention to share this possibility. I'm Ryan Kurzak, and this is the Kriya Yoga Podcast. So today in this section of our uh, retreat for the Kriya Yoga Apprenticeship Program, we're going to talk about meditation, meditation techniques, because this is also the day where we are going to review the Kriya Pranayama techniques, and we're going to go through the Kriya initiation process for each of you together. This morning when we meditated, I guided you through, it was an hour-long meditation, but I, I guided you through uh, a variation of Kriya Pranayama, also called Sushumna breathing, where you pull the current up through the spine on the inhale and let it flow back down, soothing on the exhale, and you begin to direct your awareness to that. And I had you get a little more deeply involved in it. I, I gave you recommendations about how to make it a little more, uh, how to intensify it a bit without strain, without stress, but how to, how to intensify it a bit. And this is important because when you are learning Kriya Yoga, before you began the Kriya Yoga Apprenticeship Program, it was advised and required that you had already been meditating for at least six months um, that you had downloaded, listened to, practiced what was taught in the um, 11-hour Kriya Yoga course at kriyogaonline.com, which goes through various uh, preliminary techniques, such as uh, Soham Mantra, uh, chanting through the chakras, and Sushumna breathing, a light version of Sushumna breathing, and all these are to begin to condition your mind, body, heart, and consciousness to process higher states of awareness. And we approach it this way, ideally, because I have found in most things in life through experience that it's better to start out taking it slow to get the hang of it, to do it right in the first place. For example, when it came to changing my exercise routine, as we had been talking about exercise, and I mentioned that I was had a pretty intense exercise routine for most of my late 20s, throughout my 30s, uh, and then I moved away from that and began focusing on things such as qigong, yoga, biking, pickleball, uh, stand-up paddleboarding. I, I went more towards that and some of these intense exercises that I was doing. But in order to be able for me to do those things, I had to start out slow because when I first became involved in Kriya Yoga, I was just finishing high school, or not high school, pardon me, I was just finishing college. And I didn't have a whole lot of interest in athletic things. I mainly liked music and video games those were pastimes i did like hiking but i knew i had to start doing something to take care of my body so i began with very gentle qigong 
And I had to work up to practicing about 30 minutes a day. And Qigong is very easy. So you know that I must have been out of shape. It took me a while to work up to 30 minutes of Qigong. And then I began doing yoga. I did yoga more regularly. And then I started doing power yoga, as they call it, uh, Rodney Yee's power yoga. I worked up to that. So now I'm hiking more. I'm moving my body more. I'm, I'm doing it incrementally, slowly over time. And over the course of uh, three to four years, I eventually took up kettlebell training, which is kind of a heavy ball, iron ball with a handle on it. And I started with the lightest weight that was acceptable. And eventually I worked up to using a 52 pound kettlebell. And I even was trained to teach kettlebells at one point in time. And that was a really enjoyable experience to kind of see that progression from being completely out of shape to after many, many years, being in really good shape, mostly. So when it came to the physical work, I started slow and I just built up. You have, I find that when you do that with your body, you tend not to hurt yourself. I, I have never injured myself doing any of the exercises that I, I do or have done. I've injured myself being stupid in some sport activities, but that was not necessarily all my fault because uh, one time it involved something colliding with my nose, which wasn't me. And another time it involved some very large person crushing, <laughs> crushing me. Uh, so, but as far as the training and exercise go, the training and exercise didn't do it. <laughs> And I feel that that's important. I feel it's important to approach meditation that same way because you're going to be doing some heavy lifting. Uh, you need to be in shape energetically, mentally, psychologically. You need to be in shape in your heart, in your mind. And the more that you begin doing body awareness, meditation exercises, or exercises circulating life force through the body with various pranayamas, or learning to go kind of deeper into the interior consciousness, um, that takes time. And you don't want to uh, go too fast and cause problems for yourself. Most of the time when people make up these stories about kundalini awakening, messing them up, usually it's because they were already messed up. And what happened was um, one of these meditative techniques or experiences just brought it profoundly into their awareness. So this is, as you've heard me say over and over again, one of the prime reasons I recommend that you, you need to work on being as psychologically, mentally, as far as the average person goes, healthy as possible before you begin these kinds of practices. But you can do it slowly. Uh, a couple minutes of meditation here and there, some gentle breath awareness, incorporating that with Hatha yoga practice, that begins to kind of work out the system to prepare you for more intense procedures. And most of you, you've already done this work. So I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time talking about that, how to get to the point where you can start doing intensive procedures. And intensive procedures don't always mean uh, extended periods of time. Because again, in order to do ex extended periods of time in meditation, you have to have done the work because doing, doing extended periods of time in meditation would be like trying to run a marathon when you've only really run two or three miles well. You're just going to end up hurting yourself or, or causing injury somehow.
and most people can't do that anyway, so they want either fall asleep or end up daydreaming. But they're those rare few super willful, energetic individuals that <laughs> that are able to to power through things like that. So you, you want to grow into your time rather than forcing your time. In the same way that when I would do training with kettlebells or weights, I wouldn't push myself to do something way beyond my limits. I would do what I could do and then just do a little bit more. And that would be fine. And then I'd recover and then I'd do what I could do. And then I'd do a little bit more and then I'd recover and so on. And I found this to be true with training with, um, with weights and various exercise routines. I found it to be true in training with um, musical instruments if you're learning a new musical instrument and you don't already have the, any kind of muscle memory that's related to that or uh, anything of anything that's related to the movements of that instrument, you have to build up to it. You can't just go in and spend hours cranking on it because you're going to end up putting yourself out of commission for days and then you're going to miss many opportunities. So you want to grow into this whole process. So if you can only meditate for 20 minutes, well, next week, go for 22 and then if you pull that off, the week after that, bump it up to 24. And if that's pretty good, you're able to stay there for a while, maybe hang out there for a month. And then occasionally add a minute here or a minute there. You don't need to make rapid jumps. Just do it slowly, incrementally, grow into it. And if you're able to approach your meditation and your techniques in that way, um, you'll get very skillful, very good. You won't hurt yourself. You won't cause undue stress to your physiology, your system, your uh, mind, your emotions, and your heart. And if you come up against uh, challenges that arise, uh, things that become revealed to you in the process, well, it'll be gentle enough that you'll kind of see it coming on the horizon. It's not just going to blast you in the face. Uh, and if you see something difficult coming your way, well, then you know, as I've said before, now's the time to go talk to a counselor, a minister, a mentor, someone that uh, can help you work through these issues. Um, and that's really an invaluable thing to have. But there will come a time when you're, you're good at what you're doing. You know, it's like the musician who has been playing for years and has all the scales under his or her fingers knows how to do the movements, has correct posture, can sight read, can play well with other people. Or the athlete who you just throw them a ball and they're ready to go in the game and they're, they're going to do well. There's going to come a time in meditation and in your yoga practice where you're going to be a good, skillful yogi. And there's not going to be a question about it. When it's time to meditate, you're going to know how to do it. How to, if, you, if you've really been doing it, if you've really been training well in your meditations, you're going to be able to sit down, sink right in, no problem. Uh, when it comes to mastering your states of consciousness, you're going to recognize when it's okay to indulge a certain mood or emotion and when it's not appropriate. You just have to say, knock it off. Time to do my duty as I know it. There will come a time when you have that kind of uh, poise and you have that kind of skill in, in living your life. But every now and then, you are going to have to go a little more intense with your work. Because what many people do, especially once they learn uh, various meditation techniques, is they become complacent with them. Uh, people I've known who have practiced 
TM meditation. They get their mantra and they do it for 20 minutes a day. And that's wonderful. It's got a great effect on their mind, body, nervous, nervous system. Um, but they become complacent with it. It almost becomes just like a moment of getting in, in a hot bath and just letting go and not really being present. Just you're comfortable in, in a certain state of consciousness. The same is true with Kriya Yogis and mindfulness meditators. So I'm not just picking on TMers here. But with Kriya Yoga, they learn a, a series of techniques and they think, all right, I'm going to do that every day. And they do. And it is beneficial for them. And as the years go by, the experiences of clarity, of awareness become more and more apparent. But then they become complacent. They just do it. And they don't explore more deeply what consciousness is really about. Or they don't try to go deeper. Like they'll reach a point where they feel calm and clear. And that's a wonderful place to be. So believe me, that is very beneficial. But they'll reach a place that is calm and clear. And then they'll just hang out there. And they'll feel calm and clear. But they don't go any further to where they're inquiring, okay, well, what is aware of this? What is awareness? Who am I that experiences this? They don't question it because it's, it's, it's easy. Why would you question it? It's probably one of the reasons why there is suffering and difficulty in this world. Um, because if you were here and there was nothing kind of poking you every now and then, you would just stay there. And the whole point of this life, as we know, isn't to remain here. In the same way that when you're in the third grade in the educational system, the point of the third grade is not to remain in the third grade. <laughs> you, don't, you don't resist everything just so you can stay in the third grade. You keep growing. You keep going. And the same is true with meditation. So you don't want to become complacent. And the way you avoid being complacent is, number one, knowing that it is a possibility. Um, and number two, challenging yourself from time to time. And number three, reinvigorating the process, reinvigorating the process. So you can get a sense of if you're suffering from number one, because you just meditate for a long time and you're just there going about it. You don't think about it very much. Uh, it's just part of your routine, just like taking a shower uh, you feel good afterwards, um, and you can say, yeah, I'm a good yogi because I do this every day. But it's not alive. It's not that, – that's when it becomes like one of those relationships where you get along with your partner and your spouse, and you're good friends, but you kind of take each other for granted. You don't talk anymore. You don't ask, you know, what are you interested in? Uh, do you want to do something different? It just becomes – comfortable and it doesn't go anywhere you don't continue to grow so you need to use some self-honesty to get a sense of that number two challenging yourself well once you've become a steady yogi meaning you've got your routines down you can meditate well you've got mastery over your states of consciousness uh, you understand, for the most part, 
why the Bhagavad Gita says what it says, why the Yoga Sutras say what they say, it makes sense to you. You have to challenge yourself. And one of the things that Mr. Davis would recommend would be um, ideally once a week, setting aside time to uh, meditate twice as long as normal. So now, again, this is not something I would advise for people who are just getting started. We, we had that discussion about growing into getting stronger. But for example, uh, after I became physically fit, rather than working out for one hour, it wouldn't hurt me at all just to work out for an extra hour because I, I had the strength, I had the stamina, I could do it. It wasn't a problem. I wasn't working up to that. So we're talking about at that point in time where you're already pretty well established and you know that the only thing keeping you from staying longer is either just your routine or some other excuse. So once a week, Mr. Davis would advise, just sit for twice as long. Uh, if you need different routines, well, the book uh, Kriya Yoga Vichara that I wrote, there's a whole, a whole list of different routines from beginner to advanced. And you can follow that list and just knock out one technique at a time. One of the wonderful things to do, which for some reason people don't really get into as much because maybe they think it's too repetitious, is if you sit for an hour in meditation, as the example, maybe it's just a half hour, but if you sit for an hour in meditation and you go through a certain routine, well, take a five-minute break, go to the bathroom, get a little sip of water, make yourself some tea, and then come back and just repeat it. Because remember, the whole point, it doesn't matter uh, what you are doing that gets you there. It's just allowing those specific things to take you deeper. And this is one thing I would do. My general routine, as you've heard me say again and again, is simple. Basic body awareness first. Focusing on the breath, taking some time to listen to my environment, to make peace with my current state of consciousness as it is represented in my body, mind, heart, environment experience. And then I begin with alternate nostril breathing. And I'll do about 24 rounds of alternate nostril breathing. And I'll sit quietly, observing. And then when I feel inclined, I'll begin the Kriya pranayama process where I'll do a life force arousal technique, the Kriya pranayama and uh, Jyoti Mudra or some variation of Jyoti Mudra. Um, occasionally I'll throw in a mantra that I enjoy, but that's my general routine. And in between each technique, I'll, I'll sit in the silence. And let's say I do that for an hour. And let's say it's time to do a two hour meditation. All right, I just start over. I just go right back to what I did before start there. And what I find is that takes me even deeper. It's like the first hour brought me to a certain experience of meditation. Great. I'm there. And then by repeating what I just did, I find myself going even deeper into the process. I'm okay doing that because I don't necessarily get bored that easy. So I don't need a whole lot of different things to do. And that comes from years of just giving my full attention to the process and finding enjoyment in that consistency. Um, 
so when we have done two-hour meditations at the Kriya Yoga retreats, that's what I'm doing in my head. I might be guiding you through something because I know many of you do have attention span issues, even though you're good meditators. It's easy to have them, uh, attention span issues. You, you work through it. Um, but I'm going through the same process that I probably did the, the first hour. At CSA, when they would have the holy season meditations, three-hour meditations, um, I would do it three times. Uh, oftentimes, I would use some of those meditation routines listed in the book Kriya Yoga Vichara because there are other Kriya techniques that you can learn, and I usually use those for longer sittings, meaning after I've gone through a certain routine, if I want, I'm just going to tack on these, these uh, other types of variations on the Kriya Yoga Pranayama routine. It's, it's not, I'm not doing it out of boredom. I'm doing it just to kind of keep keeping the process going deeper in the experience. So challenging yourself simply means challenge yourself. If you usually sit for an hour, sit for two hours. If you usually sit for half an hour, sit for an hour. And it's okay to get up and take a quick little break. In fact, what I have found is that um, often, if I'm meditating for a long period of time and I've got to get up and use the bathroom or I need to go get a drink or something of that nature, um, oddly, it's as if when I come back, I sink even deeper more quickly than if I had just sat there and, and tried to go deeper in a continuous, uh, continuous stream. It's just been my experience. Another thing you can do, which is very helpful, uh, is set aside one day a week where you don't even time yourself, where you know you've got a morning or an afternoon to yourself. You don't have to worry about going anywhere, doing anything. And so you decide, I'm just going to sit here in meditation for as long as I want. I want to hide the clocks. I want to put my phone away. I'm just going to get into it. And what you often find is you lose track of time. You might even sit three times longer than you're, you're used to. And then you're going to have this experience of, wow, that is possible. And of course it is. Anytime you're really interested in something, you can spend hours and you're energized about it. You're, in, you're into it. So this is one way to, to challenge yourself. Um, a third way is to intensify the process. And I don't talk about this a whole lot, usually, because, um, well, many people listen to uh, my talks on the internet and, and other places. And I know there are some interesting individuals out there that sometimes take things out of context or don't quite get it and push things too far. So this isn't for them. Or people who don't really have a, a sense of respect for what they're capable of and when to back off when, when they need to back off. It's like, I'm going to really power through it. Uh, but intensify the practice. Um, so if you're doing Kriya Pranayama and you've been doing it for a year or two years and you, you know what you're doing, you, you feel comfortable with it. Well, now, now's the time to really find a way to keep your attention in the spine. I mean, mean it now. You, you should mean it before, but this is just for the sake of instruction. I'm using this kind of exaggeration. And when you, when you breathe in and you pull that current up through the spine, really use as much of your imagination, if you need imagination or your feeling capacity, 
to sense it ascending up through the spine and then really get into letting it flow back down. If you need to, dramatize it, become dramatic. This is the time that it's okay to become dramatic when you're by yourself when you're doing these techniques. And what you'll find is if you're able to do that, um, whereas before you're thinking, gee, I should probably increase my pranayamas, I should probably increase uh, my meditation repetitions because I'm just not getting the same effect, you might notice that you do one or two of them and all of a sudden you are in a much clearer space than you ever would have gotten if you just sat there mechanically going through 36 repetitions. So when you intensify it, you do whatever it takes to dramatize the process. If that means you need to take a minute or two to remember what it felt like the last time maybe you were in the ocean or went swimming in a river and it was cold and you could feel that coolness on your body and you imagine that same intense coolness rising up through the spine and then you remember a time when you were maybe uh, in the shower and it was a cold day and you just, it was wonderful to feel a warm shower and you just felt that warmth just flowing down your back, relaxing and soothing. And you just imagine, feel that moving down through uh, the central channel with this type of Sushumna breathing. Get into it, really engage yourself into it. This is the time to use your drama. And then sit there and abide and experience the after effects of it. So this is how you can intensify it. And sometimes you have to make a little note to do that. Uh, one thing that you can do, which is helpful, is we all have these little devices now, which um, have calendars on them. And you can even set repeating notifications. Um, you can maybe put every Thursday, intensify your practice. And then that reminder will come up. It's like, all right, how can I get back into it? How can I up my game in this regard? And when it comes to intensifying, I really wish I didn't have to use these kinds of disclaimers, but we live in a world of people and you know what that's like. Don't hurt yourself. Don't overdo it. Enjoy it. Get into it so you enjoy it. In the same way that when you go to the gym, as I always did and was always taught, don't, uh, don't go to failure. I mean, don't knock yourself out with the process. Go until you, you feel good about it. You feel strong. You feel like, if I just do one more, I'm good right here. This is great. Stop there. But if you start feeling like you have to force it, and I describe this in the book, Kriya Yoga Vichara, it's like lifting too much weight. So if any of you have ever done that where you've trained so much, you're trying to lift that final rep and it's just, you know, something's going to go wrong there. You just don't do it. So oftentimes when you're doing certain kinds of um, meditation or meditation techniques, you get to a point where you know you're done or you know you should have stopped about five minutes earlier. <laughs> so you don't go to failure. You go until you are energized, until you are present, until you feel like, yeah, I'm, I'm in it. I'm, I'm in this flow. And then you stay there and rest there. And if you do that on a regular basis, remind yourself to do that, then the meditation process, your yoga meditation process, training times become enjoyable. It becomes like the kinds of relationships that last for years where 
you're with your spouse or your best friend and it's not boring. You don't just do the same thing over and over again. You don't take each other for granted. You, you come up with new things. You, you, you're alive together. You still like talking to each other. Well, now this, this is sort of how your relationship with meditation develops. But in a way, what's happening is it's developing your relationship with the divine. Um, so challenging yourself. One thing that I've done, which has been really fun, um, is after doing years of meditation, well, I'm pretty good at focusing and holding images in my mind and staying on task. Well, what you can do is there are all these images of these divinities, Vishnu, Shiva, Ganesh, Parvati, Lakshmi, wonderful images out there. And one thing that's really just enjoyable to do is I, I set aside uh, occasionally 20 minutes, just 20 minutes. And let's take the example of Vishnu. Well, Vishnu represents something, an aspect of consciousness. And Vishnu has a discus in his hand, uh, a mace representing strength, uh, the conch shell representing the own vibration, and then a hand extended in blessing, wearing a garland of pearls, as, um, skin blue like the sky and a radiant light shining from behind like a like a crown of light and there are other things too each of these things represents something and so i get that image out and i do the research on what do each of these things represent in aspects of consciousness and for that 20 minutes i just decide that i'm bringing myself before this power of divinity i'm it's communion in a sense and you can do it with Jesus. You can do it with any divine personage that allows you, that, that, that helps you make your mind more sacred in that way. And what do I do? In my mind's eye, I just imagine how bright that light behind Vishnu's head must be. I see the discus and its radiance. When I see the mace in his hand, which represents strength, I imagine it radiant and that that strength is present in all things. When I see the hand and blessing, uh, I have a sense of um, being washed in or connected to uh, a universe which nurtures and supports our aspirations. Uh, the conch shell, which represents uh, the manifestation of, 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 of divinity and creation. I spend 20 minutes on that image cycling through all the different aspects of it and intensifying it in my mind and treating it as divinity. I have a sense that I am bringing myself before it, participating, realizing it, recognizing it. And then I even recognize it in everybody. You know, Vishnu is said to be everyone and everything. So uh, occasionally, occasionally when I've done that, uh, what, what ends up happening is all of a sudden it becomes clear that everyone I've ever known is Vishnu, is this representation of divinity in the world. And I can almost see that in my mind's eye. So you, you, can, you can experiment with things like that. You don't want to become scattered, meaning you, you don't want to do things like that just because you're bored with your original techniques. Remember, I have a very specific routine I have done for the past 20 years, and I still do it. And every time I give more and more attention to it, these other things I'm discussing, they're like little, mm, little side routes or boosts that I take every now and then. 
but just to help expand my awareness a little bit more. Not because I think the Kriya Pranayama is not working or the alternate nostril breathing is not working. It's, it's just another stage of, of depth of the practice. Um, again, using the idea of being a musician, if I play guitar and guitar is my main instrument, I still love it, I still play it, but I might experiment with the ukulele or the harmonica just to kind of keep myself pliable, musically speaking. So spiritually, we can do this as well. When it comes to meditation, we need to learn how to do it. We need to become skillful at the simple routines. Um, we need to find a way to um, just be as fully engaged, even in the simplest process as possible. And what this does, aside from allowing us to go deeper into the process, is that it also gives us the capacity to maintain that in our everyday life. There are so many things that are repetitious in, in normal human existence. And people who don't have a very healthy nervous system or take too many stimulants or too many uh, irritating foods or are too distracted by entertainment, social media, um, they're just too overly stimulated. Um, it's hard to just be present with the simple things in life. So that's why we cut out a lot of this stuff. But once you, you, you meditate in such a way that you are able to be present with even the simplest technique, and that is the most profound thing, then everything else that you do becomes imbued with that. If you are making dinner for your family and you're really excited to cook for them and uh, you want to get it all together, well, every, every step of the way becomes imbued with presence because, yeah, you've got to get that turkey ready and make the stuffing and all the fixings and vegetables. And in order to do that, you've got to spend a lot of time chopping vegetables. You've got to spend a lot of time picking out the spices. You've got to spend a lot of time planning out the recipe, how it's going to, how it's going to work. But when you've, when you've gone into that capacity to be so present, even the simplest things in meditation, when you're chopping those tomatoes, it's, it's, you're just chopping those tomatoes. There's no sense of, I need to get to the next thing. There's no sense of, um, gee, I hope I do this better than last time. There's just the process of chopping those tomatoes. This permeates all of life. Um, nothing becomes more important than anything else. As I, as I mentioned, I've had to do some home repairs recently. It's given me the opportunity to work a bit with my dad who knows how to do all that stuff. And um, when I get done with these retreats here with you, 
well, I've got to go home and I've got to shovel gravel. I've got to dig holes and um, take off old insulation and stuff it in the bags. And when I'm doing that, I'm not saying they're thinking, gee, it was so wonderful to be able to contribute to the world uh, as a meditation teacher. And I can't wait to get back to that. No, shoveling gravel to me is just as important. Doing what needs to do, doing what I need to do for the house to be good to live in is just as important. When I'm doing that, that's what I'm thinking about. When I'm here with you, that's what I'm thinking about. Um, when I'm scooping the poop out of the cat litter box, that's what I'm thinking about. <laughs> so eventually that whole idea of equanimity develops, being even-minded in all circumstances. It comes on through the proper practice of meditation. And as it grows within your life, it also allows your meditation to be deeper and richer. So life, meditation, they're all intertwined. They, they relate to each other. And this is what we're working towards. This episode of the Kriya Yoga podcast was made possible by donations from Kriya Yoga apprenticeship students and supporters of our Patreon community at www.patreon.com forward slash Kriya Yoga.